I'm going to be sharing again today from uh, 1 John, and we're going to be looking in chapter 4, and the title of my message is simply, Love Perfected. And as we've been talking about 1 John, I've been reminding us over and over, as John did over and over, that there is a certainty that we can have about our salvation. And if there's any one thing that we we grasp as we've gone through this study these four or five weeks, whatever it's been, I hope it's that, that we can understand that there is a certainty of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And we've looked at how John has been reminding us, the readers, as well as those he wrote the letter to over and over again, that there's all kinds of evidence that we can have that security, that, that there are so many things that we see in our own lives Spiritual victories, for example. A love that is beyond our understanding from the Father towards us, but also there should be that same love going out from us back to Him as our Heavenly Father. But also, over and over, He reiterates, and He's really blunt, so this isn't me being blunt, although I've been known to be that. But he says over and over again, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't love me. Boy, we take that at face value. It's a little bit like a glass of cold water thrown in your face. If you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't love me. And it would be okay if he'd only say it once, but he didn't. He kept repeating it over and over. And I'm not sure, but I think one of the reasons he kept repeating it over and over is to remind us just how much we need him so that we can love one another the way that we're supposed to. I want to start this morning with a story, and it's been interesting. A couple times in the last few weeks, I've brought up the name Idi Amin. How many of you remember the name Idi Amin? If you look around, we're all quite up there, more than 28 years old. And I I use this with some younger people, and they look at me like, who in the heck is Idi Amin? Well, say it was back in the early 70s, and then I remember they weren't even a twinkle in their parents' eyes yet. So I'm showing my age, but it's a powerful story. For those of you that don't know, in Uganda, in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, there was a dictator named Idi Amin, and he was evil personified. As a matter of fact, not only did he kill and murder thousands of his own people, rumors had it, not necessarily substantiated, that he was actually a cannibal besides. He would actually eat the flesh of some of these people. Just unbelievable evil. I want to share a story about a guy named Bishop Festo Kivengeri. He was an Anglican bishop at that time, and he actually met with Idi Amin to voice opposition to a a killing that took place in 1973 of three men from his own diocese. They were charged with some trumped-up charges, and they were to be killed. Well, it was on February 10th of 1973. It was a sad day in this entire city of Kabali, Uganda. The people were actually commanded to come to the stadium to witness the execution. And the whole atmosphere was filled with death and fear, and people came. There was a crowd there, a silent crowd of about 3,000 people to witness what was about to take place. And Bishop Festo had permission 
from the authorities to go and speak to these three men who are going to be killed before they died. And he did, and he took two of his fellow ministers with him, and they walked to the center of the stadium where these men were about to be killed. And they brought the men out in a truck, and they unloaded them in front of this crowd. They were handcuffed, and their feet were chained. And he walked up to them and approached them. And he's thinking in his own mind, how do, I, how do I talk to these guys? What do I say to these three men? How do you give the gospel to these doomed men who are probably filled with rage because of these false charges that have been brought against them and now they're about to die? So he walked up from behind and as they turned to look at him, his first reaction was, my goodness, look at them. Look at their faces. Their faces were all alight. They were glowing practically with an unmistakable radiance, an unmistakable glow that would not be normal in any, any situation. And before he could say anything to them, one of them burst out, Bishop, thank you for coming. I wanted to tell you the day I was arrested in my prison cell, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. He came in and he forgave me all of my sins. Heaven is now open and there is nothing between me and my God. Please tell my wife and children that I'm going to go be with Jesus. Ask them to accept him into their lives, as I have done. And the other two men told very similar stories, and they excitedly raised their hands above their heads and shook them, and they rattled in the handcuffs and the chains. And as I'm standing there, I'm thinking, they don't need a word from me. I need to talk to the guards. I need to talk to the firing squad. So he talked, and what he did is he translated what the men had said into a language the soldiers understood. And the military men were standing there with their gun cocks, guns cocked and ready to fire, with bewildered looks on their faces. They were so dumbfounded that they didn't even remember to put the hoods back over the men's faces before they were going to kill them. The three faced the firing squad, and they were standing close together. And they looked towards the people, the crowd. And they began to wave with their hands cuffed and all. And the crowd all was waving back at them. The shots were fired and they went to be with Jesus. How in the world can you have that kind of confidence in a situation like that or any other situation? How can you have the confidence in the promises of God when you are facing imminent death and you know it's coming. What in the world can give you this kind of confidence is the question that I want to look at today. And I believe our text in 1 John chapter 4 gives us a clear picture of what kind of, what kind of thing, what kind of faith can actually cause us to have that kind of confidence. I hope that not any of us face that dire a situation. But we could. And every single one of us in here are going to go through, through trials and tests of some kind. They're going to test our faith like it's never been tested before. And how do we stand on the promises of God, trusting what God says in this book is true for me? 
for you, irregardless of what we're facing. So I'm going to read, starting in 1 John 4, and I'm going to start at verse 9, and actually we're only going to focus on about three verses, 16 through 19, but I want to start a little further back to give us the context. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then the verses I'll be focusing on, starting at verse 16, it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. God loves you. If there's one clear message throughout Scripture, that's it. God loves you. He loves me. He loves us. That's the heart of the message of the Scripture. He loves us, and yet it's so hard for us to grasp that so often. Some people find it nearly impossible to believe that God could love them. And here we see over and over how Jesus manifested and showed how much the Father loved us. You know, I read in verse 9 there, he says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us. In this, God showed how much he loves us. And what was it? He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And John keeps pointing back to these kinds of facts. Think about it. He died for you. He sent his son to come to earth because he loved you so much. That kind of love should not be able to be not reciprocated. If somebody loves me so much and I'm willing to receive that love in any way, shape, or form, how can I not naturally respond and reciprocate love. In verse 10, John goes on and he said, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is one we don't get, get around too much. You probably don't throw it around in your daily conversations. But he's saying because he was our propitiation, that's how much he loved you. Now I can make a whole message on what that word means, but I'm going to just say this. He's saying, Jesus loved you so much, the Father loved you so much, that all the wrath of God against sin was poured out on His Son. So His wrath was satisfied by Jesus. Just think. I can't comprehend. The wrath. God hates sin. He despises it so much. The price of sin, the penalty for sin, was death. 
So over every single one of us, there was a death sentence put upon us. You and I deserved eternal separation from God. That was the deal because of sin. And the wrath of God, the wrath that would have been poured out on all mankind, can you imagine how much wrath that would be, is poured out on one man, his son. And he's saying to us, John is saying, that's how much he loves you. He took your wrath and the wrath of all humanity and he poured that cup of wrath on Jesus. That's how he manifested his love for us. And once again, when we think about that, meditate on that, try to, try to absorb that into our consciousness and into our spirit, how can we not love someone back who loves us so much that he withheld nothing? And he goes on in verse 16 and he says, And we have known and believed that the Lord God loves us. That the love that God has for us. As I said earlier, not everybody believes that. Not even every Christian can hardly believe that. You know, sometimes we come across people that feel if God really loved them, nothing bad would happen to them. Nothing bad. If God really loved me, I mean, how many of us have not heard someone say to us when we're trying to say Jesus loves you, they come back with, how can anybody love a God who does this, that, or the other thing? They don't understand. They've got this concept that everything, nothing bad should happen to me because I'm a Christian. The Word of God doesn't say that. What the Word of God says, that whatever happens to one of His children, He will use it for good for those who believe. Eternal good. That's why we can't wrap our mind around that. I'm looking at the situation saying, what I'm going through stinks. It's horrible. I've never felt this empty, depressed, sad in my whole life. How can this possibly be good? God's looking through eternal glasses, and we're looking through our narrow, natural mind and saying, this can't be good. We can't see into the future. And I know that's, that's really hard to comprehend at times when we're going through something horrible, something tragic. And we're thinking, oh, I love Jesus. I thought he loved me. How can this be? The Word of God promises whatever happens in the life of a Christian, a child of his, will benefit them in the eternal good. I don't understand it, but I choose to believe it by faith because that's what the Bible says. Then there are other people, and if you'd want to test that scripture, Romans 8, 28, just write that down if you want to, but that's where he says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. For believers. Then there are others that feel that if God really loves them, he'd answer all their prayers. I mean, I've, I've heard people who have actually said, I used to believe in God, but I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about this one thing, and it didn't happen. I gave up on God. God did not design prayer for us to get what we want. God's designing of prayer was for His will to be accomplished, not my will. If you and I could see through those eternity glasses, you would probably get on your knees and rejoice and thank Him many, 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 many times for not answering all your prayers. 
Because you and I in the flesh, and I'm including you because I know me, I've asked some really selfish things in my prayers. And down the road I go, oh, thank goodness that didn't happen because this is what he had in mind all along. So we can easily give up on God if we're not conscious of who he is and his faithfulness to the word. He loves us way too much to answer all our prayers. When I look at that verse, it talks about we have known his love. Has everyone known his love? Is God playing fair? Surely everyone hasn't known his love. There's a scripture in Romans I'm going to turn to quick, I think, and read. In Romans chapter 1, starting, I'm going to read it starting at verse 18. It says this, and I'm addressing the issue, has everybody known the love of God? I'd say yes. Has everybody received it? No. There's a difference. No one there means experienced the love of God. So what I believe God is telling us is every human being that's ever been born has experienced the love of God. But many have not received it. In verse 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because... That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks. God has revealed his love to everybody throughout history in many different ways. Not as clearly as you as I may have had it revealed to us through his word or through the teaching or preaching of his word or your time of meditation, your experiences with him and the Holy Spirit. But he's even telling us all that's been made, all of creation demonstrates his love to everyone. They all see it. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, if we see it, if we receive it, each new day, every day, brings fresh demonstrations of how much he loves us if we're just paying attention. In verse 16, it concludes with, God is love. When you look at that, God is love. It's his essence. It's his character. It's who he is. The Greek actually reads a little bit differently. If you were going to translate it exactly the way the Greek reads, the Greek would read this way. Theos, God, agape, love, estin, is. Theos, agape, estin, God, love, is. That's who he is. It's his character. It's makeup. He can't not love. He can't not do that. He loves And it says, if you dwell in love, you are dwelling in God, and God is dwelling in you. Some of your translations say abiding, abiding in God. 
dwelling in God. The, the, the meaning there is really to remain in, to maintain unbroken relationship with. If I am abiding with God, dwelling with God, I am maintaining an unbroken relationship with Him. And it says when we are abiding in Him, dwelling in Him, it goes on and says our love will be perfected. And it says we can have this confidence. And it uses an example of confidence. You know how much confidence you can have? You can have confidence on judgment day. Verse 17. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. The key word there is perfected. It could be translated two, three, four different ways, different words. All very, very similar, but I think they give us a slightly better meaning because when we look at the word perfected, all we can think of is absolutely perfect. Well, we're human beings. Perfect's yet to come. So what it means really is, you could interpret it, it hasn't been completed. The process has not been completed in us. It's not been... Um, matured, and I like that word probably the best. The love of God has not been matured in us yet. And it says, when we grow in our love, as I said earlier, it should be a natural response to his love. And again, how much does he love us? Well, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there's another scripture, John 17, 23, that I really like. It says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, completed in unity, mature into unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. How much does God love me? He loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Bold, huh? That's how much he loves me. He loves me. Jesus is saying, God, I want them to know that that you love them as much as you love me. I'm you, however that all works. That's how much he loves us. And he's saying that we are to mature this love in us. You know, the love of God is perfect. Perfect but it needs to mature or be perfected or be made complete in us. And this is a process. It would be great if if we instantly had mature love that we could give back to him. But it's a process that we go through. I believe every believer, we go through this process of maturing, maturing in love. And I believe that's the key that we can have this kind of confidence, the kind of confidence those three guys had in Uganda. The kind of confidence that John is talking about when it comes to the day of judgment. It's amazing to me how many people who proclaim to be Christians, and I'm not questioning whether their proclamation is true or not, but how many proclaim to be Christians who are fearful of many, many things, including the day of judgment, questioning continually their salvation. You know, any time we are looking to good works or something other than the grace of God, we're going to be miserable. We're going to live in fear. How can we have this confidence? Because of the love that's maturing in us. 
When we believe the Word of God and understand the Scriptures as Christians, our salvation is never going to be judged when we stand before God. Our, our sin has already been judged. Our sin has been judged when Jesus hung on the cross. And the judgment was guilty. But not condemned because he died in my place. We don't have to fear that kind of judgment ever as Christians. In John 5, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, who hears me and hears my word and believes him who sent me, they have eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Our sin has been judged. And the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have passed from death into life. We do not have to fear that kind of judgment. They were already judged. In verse 17, the last part of the verse, and I had to dig into this to believe it, the way I wanted to believe it, where he says, because as he is, so also are we in the world. What is John saying to us? Because as Jesus is, so are we in the world. How is that going to help me have a confidence to face anything, including the day of judgment? As he is, so are we in the world. And I believe it's all about our position in Christ. My two-string banjo. We are children of God. As Jesus is the Son of God, we are sons and daughters of God. We are not divine. We are not God. We are His children. And Jesus, John is telling us, what have we got to fear? As our love matures in us, as we abide in Him, as we remain in continual relationship with Him, the love in us matures. You know, I've shared this so many times, but I remember when I first got saved, there was this one woman in our church that... All she talked about was how much she loved Jesus. And she talked about it so much it drove me crazy. Because I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I was saved. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she talked like that, and it almost made me nervous. Certainly made me feel guilty. Because I did not have the perfected love of God mature in me, being made complete in me. I was in process of getting to that place. And it's kind of a, a strange process to try to understand in our natural mind. You know, before we're saved, if we have any understanding of judgment, if we have any understanding of the world, there's fear. We're afraid of everything. Unless we're insane. But otherwise, we're afraid of everything. Fear of this, fear of that, and fear of the other thing. And then we get saved and the love of Christ comes and instantly we're a new creation in Christ, but we're being transformed into the image of Christ through a process where His love is maturing in me. So now I've got this mixture of fear and perfect love. And sometimes I'm doing pretty good. I'm in there, I'm hanging in there in perfect love and other times this mixture of fear is creeping in. And it's normal. It's normal part of the process. And when we go through these different trials and tests in our life, God is maturing that love in us so that we can face anything without fear because of who He is and understanding His love for us, how much He loves us. Amen.
our position in Him. In John 17, 23, love them even as you've loved me. That's something to meditate on when you're feeling bad about who you are. He loves me like he loves Jesus. Whatever I am, I'm still a child of God. Whatever I've done. <clears throat> Which leads me to an obvious question in my mind is, why are so many people still living in fear that are coming to be Christians? 1 John 4, 18. I'm going to read it in a couple, three translations here. I, I think what I have up there is the New American Standard, yes. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's love is perfect, and it needs to mature in us, so my love back to him and to you and everybody else is perfected and mature. It says, It casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love, is not mature in love. I'm going to read it from the uh, New Living translation. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. It hasn't matured. And the message says it this way, there is no room in love for fear. There's just no room. It's who he is. You can't stuff it in there. Well-informed love well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death and fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. The reason there's so many of us that as, as Christians, and I don't know how far the, the, the timeline goes as far as my maturity. I, I know I'm not there yet. I'm hoping I'm getting closer. But as we're moving to that place, where the love of Christ is maturing in us so we can have such a confidence that nothing, nothing shakes our faith. Nothing. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. He's the object of our faith. There is no other object that compares to it. He is faithful to his word, to his promises. Could you stand before a firing squad and hold up your chains and proclaim that you're going to be with Jesus? seems like a bad deal until you realize you're going to be with Jesus. Works all things for good. God desires us to live in love and in confidence, not in fear. Amen? You ever heard that before? 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. He's given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. So what it amounts to simply is, if we're still living in fear, that love is not matured enough in us yet. So what do we do about that? Before I go there, I want to just look at this perfected love. How is our love perfected? Well, first by dwelling in God and Him dwelling in us. Maintaining an unbroken relationship. Can't stress this enough. We need to be in the Word. Need to be in the Word. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, the perfect teacher. We we get the Word there, He has something more to work with. And we get to know Him better. 
When we sin, we need to confess it and get back in that right relationship with Him. We want unbroken relationship, unbroken fellowship. We're still His sons. We're still His daughters. We're still, we're still children of God. But the relationship is being hindered. We want to remain in that unbroken fellowship with Him. And we will have boldness, even in the day of judgment. How can we live without fear? You know, a lot of people fear the consequences of their sinful past. Anybody in here have a past they're not proud of? Amen. I don't have to fear that. I don't have to worry about that. I know what happened, and sadly I still remember too much of it. By the grace of God, I've forgotten some. But we do not need to fear it. God has erased that. We do not have to fear the present. We don't have to fear what we're going through right now. God loves us. He's watching over us. And he's not going to allow anything to happen to us that will not be eventually turned to the eternal good for us. I don't need to live in fear of the present. I don't like it all the time. There's obvious opportunities to slip into some fear. But I don't have to fear it because he promises I'm his child. I believe it'll be from our eternal good no matter what it is. And we need to get to this place of mature love before we're in the storm. So when the storm comes, we're not caught by surprise because our storms will come for every one of us. We don't have to fear the present. I don't have to fear our immediate future. Jesus has promised he will be with you and me until the end of the age. He's given the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us. Scripture says, He that lives in me is greater than he that's in the world. I don't need to worry about now till the time I go home to be with the Lord. I don't need to worry about the future. So I don't need to worry about the past consequences, my sin. I don't have to worry about the right now. I don't even have to worry about the immediate future. And I certainly do not have to worry about my eternal future. Jesus has promised. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You are going to spend eternity with me in the presence of the Father. The house of the Lord forever and ever. He promises in the scriptures, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Awesome. Makes everything seem a little less difficult. And it says also at his right hand are pleasures. You may remember that scripture, pleasures evermore. The fullness of joy and pleasures forever. I do not need to worry about my eternal future. And he finishes this section in chapter 19, or verse 19 by saying <clears throat> simply, we love because he first loved us. We love before he first loved us. I mean, he's repeating himself so many times in these sections of scriptures. And I, I think he understands how slow we are at catching it. But his love for us, it should be the most natural thing in the world to reciprocate that love. When we begin to understand and meditate on how he's manifested it to us, how he's showing it to us, whether it's looking at the beauty of creation that we get to live in every day, whether it's the blessings that we receive daily of, of clothing and, and houses and vehicles and, and children and grandchildren, all, whether it's all those things daily, 
whether it's uh, the, the greater things in life that we have, these ideas of eternal knowing that we're going to spend eternity with God. We could just go on and on and on and on. But remember, God is the initiator and we're the responder and it should be just natural. I mean, you know how the be- what the best way is to disarm your enemy? Love them. God will tick them off. Just love them. Love them. Love them. Love them. Unless their heart has been so hardened by God, it's going to break down. It's natural. When someone loves us, we begin to love them. It's natural. And with God, with it being perfect love, to reciprocate His love. And the New Testament writers continually draw attention to God's great love for us so that we would have something to meditate on and reciprocate. As I read earlier, one of the previous messages in 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of the love God has bestowed upon us, that we are called children of God. Children of God. And Paul said, in Corinthians, or Romans, excuse me, Romans 5, I believe, God manifested his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And you and I could go through the Bible, and we could find out, find scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture where the writers are showing us how God manifested his love to us. And when we really meditate on that, allow it to settle in, how can we not love him? They seem to want to continually point us to the cross. Imagine that. The greatest act of love ever demonstrated. A man willingly going to the cross, a man who was completely innocent, sinless man going to the cross in your place, in my place. When we look to the cross, the love of God is manifested. And the key, as I've said, to loving the love of God and the love of God being made perfect or complete or mature in us is maintaining unbroken fellowship. So as I close, I'm going to repeat myself again. Read and meditate on the Word. Grab one of those, read through the year, read through the Bible in a year, and see what you can do. Press in to reading the Word of God, revealing Himself to us. And if I was going to go on into the next section of Scripture, which I'm not today, but it's kind of where I began because he goes right, in, right from all this awesome stuff and then he says, and if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't love me. Don't you wish there was some kind of get out of jail free card there? Look around. Can you honestly say you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? A mature love when we understand how much God loves us, we are able to love. We have to. Think about that. It's a command from God. And my understanding of sin is it's when we break His commands. Live in obedience to His word. If you love me, you will obey my word. If we want to see a maturing of our love, the love in us, the perfect love of God being made more perfect in us, We need to read and meditate on his word. We need to continue to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to live in obedience to the word. And lastly, of course, confess our sin. Amen. Are you children of God? 
How many of you believe it? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we go forward, 2016 is a year where the the love of Jesus Christ is made so real in each one of our hearts, we fall so madly in love with you that we cannot, cannot satisfy the appetite we have for knowing you better. Give us a fire and a hunger for your word. God, that it just flows out of us. God, that our, our hearts are so full with love for you that our, our praise and our worship comes from hearts that are overflowing, that we cannot worship you, God, in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that this would be a year where we would bring glory and honor to you in greater and greater ways as your children. Lord, I pray that for me and each one of us here, We need to know you better. We want to know you better. I pray for each one here that's going through one of those trials and one of those tests right now. Where confidence is being challenged. Lord, I pray you would bring to their remembrance the promises of your word. The faithfulness of our God. I pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who's never got to experience the love of Christ, that they would today even confess their sins and need for a Savior and realize that Jesus is that Savior and accept that free gift of salvation through him, through what he's done, that they may know the love of Jesus for the very first time in a very tangible way. And Lord, I pray now that as we go our different directions, you would continue to watch over us, keep us, protect us. God, I pray that you would give us all divine opportunities, divine appointments, divine connections to share the good news of Jesus and the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus and the authority of that name that the enemy could not come and steal the seed that's been planted this morning about your love. God, cause it to grow in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.